And now, the third and final question. How do we minister to those who are suffering? The book of Tobit does not provide any quick and fast rule on this. It does, however, remind us that God does not punish sin with suffering. He does not use us to provide a lesson for others. Instead, Raphael is revealed as an angel who has been directed. Hello and welcome. The Setting Apart podcast is a pit stop where you can get nourished, encouraged, and refreshed whenever you need a break. I am your host, IP, and every episode, I get to share my stories, my outlook, my reflections on all things inspired through the lens of faith. So grab yourself a coffee, sit back, relax, and chill. In the last episode, I reflected on Raphael's exhortation and Tobit's test. On the former, I connect the dots with the three pillars of Lent, prayers, fasting, and almsgiving, and how Jesus in his humanity overcome the devil's three temptations in the desert using them. On the latter, I reflected on the question, why does God test us? Or if you frame it another way, why do bad things happen to good people? In this episode, I continue to unpack Tobit's theology to seek insights to the follow-up question, how to move forward when tested. In a homily on May 6, 2013, in the chapel of Santa Marta, Pope Francis spoke of the suffering of Sarah and Tobit, and I quote, Tobit and Sarah, they do not curse, but they complain. Lamenting to God is not a sin. A priest that I know once said to a woman who complained to God about her misfortunes, Madam, that is a kind of prayer, so go ahead. The Lord feels and hears our lamentations. Job also lamented by cursing. Not the Lord, but the situation. Moreover, expressing sorrow is human. Also because there are many people who are in these situations of existential suffering. Unquote. By the time this episode drops, it will be month number six since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. As reported by Reuters, On July 4, 2022, the UN says that at least 12 million people have fled their homes in Ukraine. This is like the modern-day Jewish exile in the book of Tobit. Elsewhere in the United States, 19 elementary school children and two teachers were killed in a senseless shooting on May 24th. 2022 in Uvalde, Texas. In the last 6 to 12 months, closer to home from the people that I know, a couple of them suffered from stroke in varying degrees. A senior fractured the ribcage from a fall. 
One was diagnosed of pre-diabetes and one was diagnosed of type 2 diabetes. And yet another was diagnosed of cancer. Just to round things up, there are two to three individuals who are suffering from mental health issues. So, indeed, suffering is real and you don't need to look very hard. It is everywhere. And whenever an unexpected disaster strikes, be it natural or man-made, especially when innocent lives are lost, questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? And where is God in all this are typically raised among the Christian community. In the last episode, I covered why does God test us? In this episode, I want to address a follow-up question. How to move forward when tested? Let's see what insights we can get from the book of Tobit in this episode. And here's the thing. As I am reading the book of Tobit, it is a simple story, yet its revelations are quite profound. Now, before we read and reflect on Tobit chapter 13, how are we doing on our daily thanksgiving to God, the first thing we get up? If I may be honest, I still have not gotten this down. I just got to keep trying until it becomes second nature to me. I hope you guys are doing much better than I am. If you're like me, great, you're not alone. If you're doing well, fantastic. Please keep it up and try to include the St. Ignatius Prayer as part of your daily Thanksgiving prayer. Let's pray for one another to get this right. The Bible I'm reading from is the New American Bible or the NAB online version taken from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops or the USCCB website. For the book of Tobit, I also refer to the online version of the Dewey Reims Bible, which is a translation from the Latin Vulgate, whereas the NAB is translated from the Septuagint or the Greek version. As always, the show notes can be found on the website. The URL is www.settingapart.com and setting apart is one word. All resources used, for example, scripture verses, reflection questions, YouTube links, where subtitles of every episode this season is uploaded, all these and more for the podcast can be found in the show notes. I invite you to read along Tobit chapter 13 with me. If you do not have a Bible handy, I got you covered. Check out the Setting Apart channel on YouTube where you can find the subtitles or transcripts for all the episodes in this season there. Again, the YouTube links can be found in the show notes on the Setting Apart website. As you read along the scripture with me, please take the time to read them slowly and prayerfully, much like you take the time to chew and savor a fine dining meal slowly and deliberately. Read it two to three times. Let the words saturate your mind. Take note of the particular word, phrase, verse, or ideas that strike you. Keep coming back to them as you read two to three times. And discern on what God is saying to you through the word, phrase, verse, or ideas that you carved out. Now, let us quiet down our heart for the opening prayer as we prepare to read 
and listen to the word of God. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, all thanks and glory belong to you. We thank you for gathering us in your name to listen attentively to you with our heart. As it is written, as your word unfolds, it gives light. Even the simple understand. We pray that the Holy Spirit in our midst could guide us in opening our ears and our heart to be enlightened by your word. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Tobit chapter 13 Then Tobit spoke and composed a song of joyful praise. He said, Blessed be God who lives forever, because his kingship lasts for all ages. For he afflicts and shows mercy, casts down to the depths of Hades, brings up from the great abyss. What is there that can be snatched from his hand? Give thanks to him, you Israelites, in the presence of the nations. For though he has scattered you among them, even there recount his greatness. Exalt him before every living being, because he is your Lord, and he is your God, our Father and God, forever and ever. He will afflict you for your iniquities, but will have mercy on all of you. He will gather you from all the nations among whom you have been scattered. When you turn back to Him with all your heart and with all your soul do what is right before Him, then He will turn to you and will hide His face from you no longer. Now consider what He has done for you and give thanks with full voice Bless the Lord of righteousness and exalt the King of the ages. In the land of my captivity, I give thanks and declare his power and majesty to a sinful nation. According to your heart, do what is right before him. Perhaps there will be pardon for you. As for me, I exalt my God. My soul exalts the King of heaven and rejoices all the days of my life. Let all sing praise to his greatness. Let all speak and give thanks in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, holy city, he will afflict you for the works of your hands, but will again Pity the children of the righteous. Give thanks to the Lord with righteousness and bless the King of the ages so that your tabernacle may be rebuilt in you with joy. May He gladden within you all who are captives. May He cherish within you all who are distressed for all generations to come. A bright light 
will shine to the limits of the earth. Many nations will come to you from afar, and inhabitants of all the ends of the earth to your holy name, bearing in their hands gifts for the King of Heaven. Generation after generation will offer joyful worship in you. Your name will be great forever and ever. Cursed be all who despise you and revile you. Cursed be all who hate you and speak a harsh word against you. Cursed be all who destroy you and pull down your walls. And all who overthrow your towers and set fire to your homes. But blessed forever be all those who respect you. Go then, rejoice and exult over the children of the righteous. For they will all be gathered together and will bless the Lord of the ages. Happy are those who love you and happy are those who rejoice in your peace. Happy too are all who grieve over all your afflictions, for they will rejoice over you and behold all your joy forever. My soul, bless the Lord, the great King, for Jerusalem will be rebuilt as His house forever. Happy too will I be if a remnant of my offspring survives, to see your glory and to give thanks to the King of heaven. The gates of Jerusalem will be built with sapphire and emerald and all your walls with precious stones. The towers of Jerusalem will be built with gold and their battlements with purest gold. The streets of Jerusalem will be paved with rubies and stones of Ophir. The gates of Jerusalem will sing hymns of gladness, and all its houses will cry out, Hallelujah! Blessed be God of Israel for all ages. For in you the blessed will bless the holy name forever and ever. After reading chapter 13 to 3 times, the verses that jump out to me are verses 5 and 6, and I quote, He will afflict you for your iniquities, but will have mercy on all of you. When you turn back to Him with all your heart, and with all your soul do what is right before Him, then He will turn to you and will hide his face from you no longer." Unquote. That right there is a reminder that our God is a just and merciful God, always loving and patient. He loves us so much by giving us the freedom to choose as we please. However, the choice we make have consequence. If we turn to evil, we will be punished for our wickedness. But if we turn back to Him, He will rejoice in giving us His mercy. According to St. Bede, and I quote, Acknowledging God's severity and mercy, Tobit 
reminded the faithful always to proclaim the benefits and fear the scourges of God. Unquote. Okay, let's turn to the suffering of Tobit and Sarah, address the question how to move forward when tested, and connect the dots with the verses that I picked. To address the question how to move forward when tested, I will reflect on three questions from the book of Tobit. 1. What does the book of Tobit say about suffering? 2. How should we proceed with suffering? And finally, 3. How do we minister to those who are suffering? Let's begin with question 1. What does the book of Tobit say about suffering? First, there is no evidence to suggest that the suffering of Tobit and Sarah is due to personal sin. This is quite significant since it goes against the Deuteronomist understanding of suffering. As a side note, the Deuteronomist tradition explains Israel's successes and failures as the result of faithfulness, which brings success, or disobedience, which brings failure. In the Old Testament, the Deuteronomist tradition also associates suffering with sin and that God punishes the parents' wickedness on the children down to the third and fourth generation due to sin. We can see that in Deuteronomy 5 verse 9 and Exodus 20 verse 5. That's why when they saw a blind man, Jesus' disciples asked in John chapter 9 verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus replied, Neither he nor his parents sinned. It is so that the works of God might be made visible through him. Thus, the book of Tobit presents a very different understanding of suffering from the Deuteronomist understanding that bad things can and do happen to good people, since both Tobit and Sarah are both presented as good and faithful Jews, and yet bad things happen to them. Elsewhere in the Bible, this is what the prophet Ezekiel has to say. In Ezekiel 18 verse 20, and I quote, Only the one who sins shall die. The son shall not be charged with the guilt of his father, nor shall the father be charged with the guilt of his son. Justice belongs to the just, and wickedness to the wicked. So Ezekiel seems to be contradicting the Mosaic law, but in support of the book of Tobit. So what's going on? Is the Bible inconsistent? Can a sin and hence its punishment be passed down from one generation to another? Let's continue reading verses 21 to 22 of Ezekiel chapter 18. And I quote, But if the wicked man turns away from all the sins he has committed, if he keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the crimes he has committed shall be remembered against him. He shall live because of the justice he has shown. 
The prophet Ezekiel made it very clear. Only the one who sins shall die. Only the wicked would be punished, not the just. He goes on to elaborate that if the sinner turns away from his sinful ways and turns back to God, he shall live because of the justice he has shown. And with this understanding, we can easily reconcile the Deuteronomist tradition. If the children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren of the wicked generation were to keep the wicked ways of their parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents, they will be dealt with just like the wicked generation is punished accordingly. And we know some behavioral traits do pass down to generation because children do learn from their parents, right? And conversely, if the children turn away from the bad and sinful ways of the parents and turn back to God, they will be glorified. And so, in this sense, Ezekiel is absolutely consistent with both Deuteronomy and Exodus. I hope that makes sense. Okay, that wasn't that bad. But what about the original sin? It still does not explain how the original sin gets transmitted to us. The question then becomes, how does the original sin of Adam and Eve get transmitted to mankind? That is an excellent question, if I might say so myself. To address that, I turn to CCC paragraph 404, and I read, How did the sin of Adam become the sin of all his descendants? The whole human race is in Adam as one body of one man. By this unity of the human race, all men are implicated in Adam's sin, as all are implicated in Christ's justice. Let me pause here. To me, the easiest way to think about this is Adam is the representative of the human race. That's the framing of what Adam represents. I continue. Still, the transmission of original sin is a mystery that we cannot fully understand. But we do know by revelation that Adam had received original holiness and justice not for himself alone, but for all human nature. By yielding to the tempter, Adam and Eve committed a personal sin, but this sin affected the human nature that they would then transmit in a fallen state. It is a sin which will be transmitted by propagation to all mankind, that is, by the transmission of a human nature deprived of original holiness and justice. And that is why original sin is called sin, only in an analogical sense. It is a sin contracted and not committed, a state and not an act. End of reading. And that was from paragraph 404 of the CCC. Now, I do not pretend to know exactly how it works, but a key takeaway for me is that the original sin we contracted from Adam and Eve and not committed 
is the human nature we inherited in the fallen state that is deprived of the original holiness and justice when God created man and woman. And it is this human nature with an inclination to evil that is called concupiscence that we inherited or contracted from Adam and Eve. Now, the consequence for the inheritance of our concupiscent human nature, if they are not abated, would persist in man and summon him to spiritual battle. You can see that in the very next paragraph, paragraph 405 of the CCC. Without the grace of God, there is no way we can overcome the concupiscent nature we contracted from Adam and Eve's original sin. Hence, St. Paul says in Romans 3 verse 23, and I quote, All have sinned and are deprived of the glory of God. I hope that helps. I would encourage you to check out CCC paragraph 404 and 405 and contemplate on them. If generation after generation, with the concupiscent nature we inherited, we continue to sin against God, the consequence of which would be punishment for generation after generation. And we see this up and down the Bible. For example, none of the wilderness generation made it across to the promised land, not even Moses. Now, is that what God wants? Does God find pleasure in punishing us? Absolutely not. Our God is a just and merciful God. He rejoices whenever we turn back to Him with all our heart. As it is written in Ezekiel 18 verse 23, and I quote, Do I find pleasure in the death of the wicked? Oracle of the Lord God. Do I not rejoice when they turn from their evil way and live? End of quote. We find the same message in Tobit 13, verses 5 to 6, which strike a chord with me. Let me read that out for you again. He will afflict you for your iniquities, but will have mercy on all of you. When you turn back to Him with all your heart, and with all your soul do what is right before Him, then He will turn to you and will hide His face from you no longer." Unquote. And that is the good news we should be sharing with everyone. Yes, we have the inclination to evil, that which we inherited from the original sin. But the good news is we can break that vicious cycle simply by turning back to God. In theory, that sounds pretty good, right? But in practice, time and time again, we fail or I fail. I fail, especially in times of my trial and tribulation, which is why I believe the book of Tobit offers a very good reminder to never lose faith, even to the point of despair just like Tobit and Sarah. 
They may have lost the will to live in their own circumstance, but they never lost faith in the Lord. They never stopped praying and never stopped giving thanks to God, even in their despair. My second takeaway. While Tobit's blindness might be a symbol of spiritual blindness, he was not blinded by God because of grievous personal sin. As it is written in John 9, verse 3, and I quote, Neither he nor his parents sinned. It is so that the works of God might be made visible through him. And that he does. All the Jews in Nineveh are amazed at the restoration of Tobit's sight. The key takeaway for me is that bad things can and do happen to good people, which we have unpacked the whys in the last episode. Feel free to check it out if you wish. In this episode, my focus is on how we might proceed in times of our trial or suffering in practice. Keep in mind, suffering is not the same as sin. God will never turn away from us in times of our suffering or trial. According to St. Paul, no suffering can separate us from the love of God. We see that in Romans 8, but sin can. We see that in Galatians 5. Now, I covered this topic quite in depth in Season 1. Episode 8 and 9, How Deep is God's Love, Part 1 and Part 2. Feel free to check them out if you wish to find out more. Again, keep in mind that the episodes in Season 1 can be accessed via podcast. I only started YouTube in Season 2. Okay, my third and final takeaway for this first question is suffering can indeed result from evil. As Medea seems to have free reign in Sarah's world, it is Asmodeus who torments Sarah, not God. We know that evil persists in our world, and we know from the book of Tobit, with the grace of God, evil can be and was conquered when Tobiah follows Raphael's instructions to the T. Now that is the good news because it gives us hope. So there you go. Those are the three takeaways on suffering from the book of Tobit. Okay, now on to question number two. How should we proceed when we are suffering? First, note that Tobit, Sarah, and Tobiah are ordinary people. The implication is that God is concerned about all of us as individuals. We should recall always, and especially during times of adversity, that God loves us and cares for us. Second, we see that both Tobit and Sarah pray to God out of desperation. In fact, they pray for their death. The end result, however, it's not so much that God is moved to action, but that Tobit and Sarah are open to God's subtle interventions in their lives, and so too is Tobiah. Previously, I've spoken on how Tobiah has listened and cooperated with Raphael's instructions and suggestions, and it's worth repeating here. 
when Tobiah is assailed by a large fish while washing his feet at the Tigris River, he heeds Raphael's suggestion to haul the fish ashore, where he cuts it open to retrieve the parts with medicinal properties, which, according to Raphael, can be used to cast the demons away from Sarah and also to restore the sight of Tobit. Tobiah and Sarah also follow Raphael's instruction to pray for three days in order to cast out the demon and thereby placing purity and sincerity before lust before taking Sarah as his wife. Raphael then journeys home with Tobiah and Sarah where he encourages Tobiah to use the gall from the fish to peel away the white scales from Tobit's eyes, thereby regaining his sight. In other words, blessings have been bestowed on them after their initial suffering because of their obedience to faith. They followed Raphael's instructions closely every step of the way, and everyone then lives happily and faithfully ever after. And now, the third and final question. How do we minister to those who are suffering? The book of Tobit does not provide any quick and fast rule on this. It does, however, remind us that God does not punish sin with suffering. He does not use us to provide a lesson for others. Instead, Raphael is revealed as an angel who has been directed to journey with Tobiah, Sarah, and Tobit. In a similar way, Jesus did not come to take away pain and suffering. He came instead to share with us all the joys of human existence and our suffering as well. Most important, he came to share the Father's love with us. And so today, we may be invited to journey with others who may have been overwhelmed by great suffering. How shall we proceed? In these moments, words can sometimes fail us. In these moments, complex and well-reasoned theodicies or theologies probably won't do. Like Raphael, we are invited instead to journey with those who are beset by grief and pain, sometimes in silence, sometimes with a simple word of friendship, and sometimes in certain grace-filled encounters, with the assurance that God walks with all of us even in the darkest moments of our lives. In the words of St. Ambrose, and I quote, In our distress, we ought to love God and not depart from Him. For joy of distress often comes after, and the joy of distresses. Blessed is He who is distressed and yet not forsaken, and who follows the law. End of quote. Let us pray.
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. He will afflict you for your iniquities, but will have mercy on all of you. When you turn back to Him with all your heart and with all your soul do what is right before Him, then He will turn to you and will hide His face from you no longer. Dear Lord, all thanks and glory belong to you. Like Moses and Tobit, I praise you for the wonderful works you have done for me. Despite the disobedience of Adam and Eve, you keep reaching out to me by giving me the gift of virtues so that I may be made righteous. The gift of the angels and the archangels to watch out for me and to guide me when I know not what I am doing, to ascend my prayers to you and to descend your mercy to me. The gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell in my heart, to prompt me to listen for your voice, especially in times of my suffering and my trial, and to mark me as your own, your pledge as the down payment for my redemption and salvation. The gift of prayer, so that I may have a relationship and be in communion with you. My nature is weak, therefore the depth of your mercy is great. Please do not forsake me as I stumble my way toward you with my cross on my back. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you like what you hear, please like, subscribe, and get notified. Thank you, and God bless.